your Bibles now, if you would please, and turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. I wish to thank everyone for being here today. May the Lord richly bless us with the preaching of his word. Psalm chapter 90, verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by the, thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. The way and means by which God providentially led me yet again to this amazing passage of Scripture, considering I just recently, in December of 2022, uh, preached on its context, is without doubt astounding, and time does not avail me to get into the details of how God providentially led me to this passage of Scripture, but believe me, it has been astounding uh, nonetheless. Yet in the course of this past eight months, the Lord has seen fit to reveal unto me more of its divine truths. And though it is verse 12 that I wish to expound on more extensively, the divine truths found in the beginning of this prayer of Moses, the man of God, is so relevant that I believe it demands our sole attention this morning. For I fear this divine subject has been greatly ignored 
even opposed in these present times. It hasn't been completely ignored, yet surely enough, it has not been spoken enough of. And that subject of which I'm speaking is the reverence and fear of the everlasting God. Christians today speak often of the fear of God and reverencing God, yet I fear that we speak of it too little. And our context is filled with exhortations for us to consider not only the eternity of God, but our brevity in the light of our sins and iniquities and God's wrath and chastisements for our sins. The evidence of it being spoken so little of is seen in how the world reacts or responds to the things of religion. You say, the world never respects or honors God. No, but when God's people live reverently before God, it does have an influence upon the world. And I fear this influence has greatly lacked over the last few years. And so I wish to, this morning, just concentrate on this subject before we look further into Moses' exhortation in verse 12 that God teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. The very title giveth this psalm a most amazing context and bears even greater evidence of its divine inspiration and significance. You have your Bible. The title of this psalm is A Prayer of Moses, A Man of God. And that's amazing if you think about that for a moment. For these words reflect upon the first time this title was ever given a man. And it was given to Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 33. It was in reverence to Moses' last great act of life before he would depart out of this present world. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 1, the Word of God says this, And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And Psalm chapter 90, this prayer of Moses, he speaks of us numbering our days and how our life is brief and short like a dream, like grass that groweth in the morning and in the evening it perisheth. So there's a lot in common with the title and with this man of God, this Moses, which goes back all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 33. This man of God, this Moses, who was first given this title in Deuteronomy 33 before his death, would now teach us in this prayer to number our days. Within this brief psalm, dearly beloved, this heartfelt and humble prayer of Moses, we see the man of God, I believe, summing up the divine lessons learned by Israel's 
wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Because these are the lessons learned in that wilderness wandering. They're all found in Psalm chapter 90. Even though there are countless lessons to be learned in the wilderness wanderings of Israel, I believe Moses here in Psalm chapter 90 gives us or sums up everything that should have been learned or the greatest lessons to be learned from the wilderness wilderness. Namely, not only the brevity of this present life, but God's eternity, our sins and iniquities, and the wrath and anger of God should teach us even as God's children, and much more as God's children, to number our days in reverence to God's eternity in our brief life and the sins and iniquities that are before His countenance and the secret sins which are in the light of His countenance. Forty years with Israel to wander in the wilderness for their sins and rebellion against God. Forty years the children of Israel would witness the death of each man and woman of that apostate generation. Now think about that in the light of his exhortation to number our days, 40 years. You remember when they went in and they came back out and we all know they got discouraged and God said, okay, you rebelled against me, you sinned me, you'll wander for 40 years. 40 years Israel had to sit there and watch as men and women from that apostate generation died. 40 years they watched them. And while each death reminded them of their sin and rebellion against God, with each death and each new day, the new generation drew closer to entering into the promised land of Canaan. Can you imagine that? You know you're wandering in the wilderness because of the rebellion and sin of, your, of the people. And every time somebody dies of that generation, the new generation is closer to the promised land. And the old generation is reminded of their sin and rebellion against God. Because God promised, none of you shall enter into the promised land, not this generation, but your children shall enter into the promised land. So every time someone died of that apostate generation, that generation was reminded of their sin and rebellion against God, while the new generation drew closer to the promised land. Surely those thoughts must have entered their minds constantly as they wandered 40 years. And here in this 90th Psalm, we have Moses, the man of God, summing up the great lessons to be learned from Israel's 40 years in the wilderness for all generations to humbly learn. And I pray that we would this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, and most importantly, and it is important, you need to listen this morning, how this man of God would carefully and yet humbly lay down the divine foundation which his following exhortations must be built. Listen carefully. Moses speaks in this psalm of things this generation of believers speak little of, which is really a sad truth. And yet before Moses begins to talk about the frailty and brevity of this human life and of God's wrath and his anger towards his people's sins and our iniquities and our secret sins before God, before he exhorts us to beseech God to teach us, 
because we can't teach ourselves to number our days, he lays down a very important foundation which we as God's children must ever keep in mind. Otherwise, we're going to miss the blessings of these serious exhortations of the man of God. Look at the foundation that he lays for us to build all these exhortations on. Verse 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. Listen closely. In all generations, our dwelling place. I'm getting ahead of myself. The exhortation of verse 12, that we would beseech God to teach us to number our days, is not referred or implied to the sinner. It's to God's people. This entire psalm is referenced to God's people. But watch the foundation he lays. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. You see how he talks about the eternity of God? The faithfulness of God? Before the fountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You see how he begins? This divine exhortation, this lesson we have to learn in this Psalm chapter 90, he begins by directing our hearts and attentions not only to the eternity of God, that God is everlasting to everlasting, and that he's been from all generations, but he's been our dwelling place. In other words, he says, before I get into the serious exhortation, I want you to realize and understand God's faithfulness in spite of all our sins and weaknesses and failures, in spite of the fact that our life is brief, and fleeting, in spite of the fact that we often anger God, and in spite of the fact that our sins are ever before Him, never forget that God is our dwelling place from generation to generation. You have to remember that. Because like I said, I believe that this exhortations with Moses speaks of in Psalm 90 in the following verses 3 and throughout the chapter are greatly ignored by many Christians today. For some reason, and I understand why, many professing believers have turned the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into lasciviousness. That hey, it doesn't matter, we don't have to fear and reverence God like in the Old Testament. No, we're living by grace, and so therefore it doesn't matter. God's not angry with us. God doesn't get angry. Like in the Old, that's an Old Testament dispensation. Since when did Christ, in his sacrifice, change the character and attributes of God? I believe there's a great lack of fear and reverence amongst those who truly profess to know Christ. And I believe it's greatly, not only weakened the church, but I fear it has also greatly influenced the world. Look how the world has such an irreverence towards God. Well, they always have. I believe that irreverence has grown because Christians don't reverence God. We allow people around us to use God's name in vain. We allow people around us to, to curse and, and abuse the things of God, whether it be a scripture or his truths or anything else. And we, we, we stand up for nothing. We don't say anything. We don't reverence God in our own lives. We don't choke to them in the way we live and conduct our lives that we reverence God, that God is someone to be feared and reverend. No, we give them the idea that God is not to be revered or feared. And I believe that has greatly weakened the church and also encouraged the world to be irreverent towards God. So I believe this is something that we need to be reminded of as God's people. 
to exclude or ignore the divine truths laid down in these opening words of Moses' prayer would make his following exhortations most devastating and insufferable. If you think about it. Are you listening to me? Can you imagine reading verses 3 to 17 without these first two verses? These exhortations would be devastating. Lord, Moses, you're telling us our years are brief. We're like asleep. We go to sleep. It's like a dream. We wake up and life's over with. And we're like grass. We flourish in the morning. We're cut down at night. We're consumed by thine anger, thy wrath, or by thy wrath are we troubled. You've set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. All our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is late. Those would be devastating exhortations without these first two verses. For though our present life is brief and frail, as though we were asleep in a dream, even though we spend our years as a tale that is told, and as the grass flourish and grows in the morning, yet in the evening it is cut down and withered, and even though the days of our years, by reason of strength, before score, Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off when we fly away. And though God has set our iniquities before himself and our secret sins in the light of his countenance, in spite of all those things, and they're true, are they not? Yet God hath been our dwelling place in all generations. Do you see that? Moses is encouraging the children of Israel and every child of God in every generation the importance of reverently fearing God, but never forgetting that He is our dwelling place in all generations. That in wrath, He remembers mercy. We live in a generation which has taken the grace of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and like I've said and like First John says and Jude says, turned it into lasciviousness. In spite of our frailty and brief life, in spite of our many iniquities and sins, it is to God's eternal and unchanging mercy and faithfulness we must ever look. Moses begins here, because here we must build upon these exhortations. Here we must never forget that he has been our God, our dwelling place in all generations. knowing that should God mark iniquities. We sang that song. It's amazing how uh, recently here, a lot on Sundays, the singing of the Psalms bears witness to the text that we're preaching on, but Psalm 130, that should God mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. Why did the psalmist say there is forgiveness with thee? that thou mayest be feared. That thou mayest be feared. And that in wrath, 
By thy wrath we are troubled. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, he remembers mercy. That's Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. By thy wrath we are troubled. Not consumed, not destroyed, we're troubled. Now don't misunderstand me. Moses is not talking about a wrath for the penalty of our sins, but a wrath of a loving father who chastens his children. Yet still, it is a wrath and an anger which moves the child of God to revere and fear God. You know, even in a family, if the father, especially the father, is doing his job properly, scripturally, as a father, he's going to love his wife and his children. And yet there must be also a reverence of his children for their father. You see, any kind of authority must also come with reverence. Otherwise, we don't believe in authority. And so Moses is dealing with a subject which I, like I said earlier, which I believe has been neglected a lot in this generation. And they just kind of ignore it and say, well, that's an Old Testament dispensation. That's not for Christians. We don't have to worry about that. I'm now saved in Christ. I'm, you know, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that all of yourselves it is the gift of God. No, I'm, I'm, I have much favor in Jesus Christ. I don't have to revere and fear God. And that's an Old Testament dispensation. That's the God of the Old Testament. This divine truth, dearly beloved, was infinitely more revealed on Calvary. You say, well, Christ paid all the sins. Well, what happened on Calvary? Well, on Calvary, you see the great wrath of God poured out on Christ for our sins. It was a great wrath. He spared not his own son. What did he do? He let him drink that cup of wrath. Remember in the garden? If it be the will, take this cup from me. What cup is he talking about? Read the Old Testament. It's the cup of God's wrath. He endured everything, every, every ounce of that. He drank the dredges of God's wrath. God did not spare him at all. He poured his entire wrath and anger upon Christ for our sins. So we see there the wrath and anger of God for sins. Yet also in Christ we see the infinite mercy and grace of Christ for taking our place. So we see that divine balance. And Moses strikes this balance wonderfully well in Psalm chapter 90 by beginning to say, Never forget, God, the Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And yet we still must be reminded of our Weakness and frailty, sinfulness and iniquities that teach us to number our days. Look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Beginning in verse 7. Here's the psalmist again. Listen to it, verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail 
forevermore. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years in the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and thy and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You see, even the psalmist at a moment in time was wondering if God had cast off forever and was favorable no more. And then he remembers. Remembers what? The Lord is our dwelling place from generation to generation. There are many today who would dispute, even oppose, yet not completely do away with this divine exhortation of Moses found in this 90th Psalm. For they say Christ has removed all need to fear and revere God and that such exhortations, like I said earlier, are merely Old Testament dispensations. Now the grace of God in Christ removes or does away with such exhortations to fear and reverence God. I beg to differ, and so does Scripture. There is a need for God's children to fear and revere God. I don't know about you. Now, my father was not a Christian man, so it's hard for me to give the difference to it. But I, just for example's sake, um, I never looked forward to my father punishing me when I did something wrong. And it was never pleasant. And when mom got to the point to where she wouldn't punish me but said, you go to your room, wait till your father gets home, I sat in that room with fear all day long. When God chastens, even Hebrew says, it's not pleasant for the moment. But it's needful. The fear of God enriches our spiritual life. Do you know that? Now follow me, because I want you to understand something towards the end of this as we get to the end of the subject this morning. Because even though there were some in Israel that did not follow the rebellion and sins of the many, Yet everyone had to suffer 40 years. Do you listen to me? Everyone had to suffer 40 years. I'm getting ahead of myself, and some people would differ with me when I say that because they don't believe in universal church. But I'm telling you, every Israelite, none were left unscathed. Even Caleb and Joshua had to wander 40 years with them. Had to drink from the water and the rock rather than the milk and honey of Canaan. Had to eat the manna instead of the fruit of the land had to listen to the murmuring and complaining of God's people as they disobeyed God and was rebellious for 40 years until that generation died away. They had to go through all of that. And sometimes we look around today and say, what's wrong with the church? Well, believe me, it doesn't matter what, it does matter what we do at the local church. I'm not disappointing that at all. And I'll show you that with Caleb, who followed the Lord holy. But I'm telling you, a lot of things happen in the world because the church in general has failed. 
and we need to return to revering and fearing God, humbling ourselves before Him. The Lord shall judge His people. Scripture says, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Hebrews 12 says this, verses 28 and 29, Wherefore, are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? Sounds like Psalm 91. The Lord has been our dwelling place forever. Wherefore, are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? There's the blessing. Let us have grace. Oh, see there, preacher? Let us have grace. Why? Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear amazing, isn't it? For God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12. Let us have grace. There's grace. Why? Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And someone one time asked me, he was talking about Christianity, he said, well, he said, why is it that you don't do things that other people do? I said, well, first of all, because I love God. Second of all, because I fear God. There's just some things that I don't do as a Christian because I fear God. Oh, you should never. No, I'm telling you, there's some things I don't do because I fear God. You children, you know there's some things you ought not to do because the wrath of Daddy comes down on you. There's things that we don't do as God's children, because we revere and fear God. If we don't, there's something lacking in our relationship with God, for He is still God. He's God. From everlasting to everlasting, and He has set our iniquities before Him and our secret sins in the light of his countenance. David said in another passage of Scripture in Psalms, he said, you know of my uprising and my downsitting. You know all that. You know everything about me. You know my thoughts from afar off. You know who I am. You know all those things. Therefore, search my heart and know me see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me. <clears throat> Psalm 2 <clears throat> Psalm two says, Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Amazing combination, isn't it? Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Why would you want to rejoice with trembling? <clears throat> Yet the psalmist says that's part of our rejoicing. Some of the psalms we sang this morning, some of the hymns, they had references to God being almighty and powerful and sovereign and are submitting to that. Recognizing that, acknowledging that, that he's God. Psalm 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared. God is greatly to be feared. 
in the assembly of the saints. Isn't that amazing? And to be had in reverence, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Fear and reverence. Maybe there's so much irreverence in the world today because Christians have stopped revering God and fearing him. We don't call sin, sin. We don't let people know that God is angry with the wicked every day. We don't let people know that there's a coming judgment where God shall judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he's chosen. We don't exhort them to believe that there's coming a day of judgment. Look at First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Again, directed to the Christians, listen to this, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's a very high standard, is it not? And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear, not a slavish fear, a reverential fear, there's a difference. We're not fearful of penal judgment. That was taken care of by Christ. But he's still God. Why do people believe that Christ sacrificed removed God's authority as God? He's still God. John the Beloved laid on Christ's bosom during the Lord's Supper. In Revelations, when he saw Christ in his glorified body, what did he do? He fell down as a dead man. Isaiah. <coughs> we know that one. He's seen the altar of God, and he said, oh, I'm an unclean man, an unclean lips. I'm in the presence of the living God. I grabbed a coal from the fire and touched his lips. Why is it such a bad thing for many people to think you must revere and fear God? Yes, he's our Heavenly Father. Yes, he's our God, and Christ has reconciled us again unto God, and we praise God for that. He praised God for his mercy and his grace, but he hasn't changed being God. He's still God. And if you and I get out of line as God's children, he knows how to chasten us. And no chastening for the moment seemeth to be... <laughs> In light of God's eternity and in the face of his wrath and anger, Moses would, in verse 12, exhort us to beseech God in teaching us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. You see, back in 90 verse, uh, Psalms 90, you, you see, he builds up to verse 12. He takes 11 verses to do that. And in the, in the, in the light of bringing on verse 12, verse 11, who, who knoweth the power of thine anger? Who knoweth the power of it? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, 
Because of that, if you understand that, if you at least acknowledge that, here comes the exhortation. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. And let me ask you this question. What is the beginning of wisdom? Proverbs 1, Proverbs 9, and Proverbs 15. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge and the instruction of wisdom in all three of those verses is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. There is wisdom in fearing God. Not slavishly, but reverently. Fearing God. Real wisdom, according to Scripture. Real knowledge, according to Scripture, concerning God and His truths can only be obtained and received as our hearts are filled with godly fear and reverence. That's the beginning of wisdom. Why is that so? Well, for such are the poor and contrite of spirit who trembleth at his word that Isaiah says God will look or acknowledge. We sang in one of those psalms, the proud he will not hear, the proud he's far from. He's not look. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's far from the haughty and the proudful. No, he's he's close. He looks upon the humble, the poor, the contrite of spirit who trembleth his word. Why? Because God looks to them. God acknowledges them. You see, God, because he's God, demands reverence. Even as a Christian, and even more so. If you ask me, I believe our reverence and fear for God should be even greater than that it was in the Old Testament. For the simple fact, Christ has given us such an access to the Father in a manner that they didn't have in the Old Testament. In days gone by, God spoke to us through prophets. Now He speaketh to us through His own Son. I I believe the level of reverence and fear should be even greater than the Old Testament, not less, even greater. For the simple fact, we have access unto the Father. We don't flippantly walk into God's presence and go, Hey, Father, what's up, dude? No, we reverence God. We're thankful. There's something about worship. There is no true worship where there's no reverence. Do you know that? There's no tr- you cannot worship God without real reverence and fear. You cannot. I heard in our prayer meeting this morning amongst the men so often mentioned, Lord, help us. We know not how we ought to pray. Help us to approach your presence in reverence. Help us to approach your presence in the way that we ought to. Father, help us to do these things. What is that? That's reverence and fear. That's acknowledging his sovereignty, that he's God. And you can't worship without acknowledging that. You can't live the Christian life without acknowledging God is sovereign. The world today wants to change all that. They want to change it to where God is nothing but pure love. And He is pure love, but He's not just love. He's a God of justice and holiness and righteousness and wrath. He's a sovereign God who demands to be revered and reverenced. 
What do you think repentance is? The divine lessons to be learned in this 90th Psalm, this man of God, which refers to lessons taught during Israel's wandering in the wilderness, beloved, were not intended for those who perished in the wilderness. Moses doesn't write this 90th Psalm for those who are perishing. That was an apostate generation. He's writing writing these exhortations for the next generation. It's Deuteronomy 33. It's the end of Moses' life. They're fixing to go off into the promised land. So Moses says, okay, here it is. This is what you should have learned in 40 years. Before you go into Canaan land, this is what you should have learned in that apostate generation. In them 40 years, fear, revere God. We're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes during our prayer meeting. How does it end? Let me refresh your memory. Ecclesiastes, how does that whole book end? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. (laughs) Twelve chapters of the preacher saying, vanity of vanity, all is vanity without God. Everything under the sun is vanity. And he writes all these things about riches and love and money and pleasure and all that kind of stuff. He gets down to the end of it and he comes to a simple conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Fear God because God will bring into judgment. No, Psalm chapter 90 is not written written for the apostate generation that was dying off or died off. It's for the next generation. What did you learn in 40 years? This is what you should have learned. Life is short and brief. And God knows your sins. That's why you wandered for 40 years with that generation. Think about it. The wilderness wanderings with Psalm 90. God, your sins, even your secret sins were before his countenance. He's seen all of that. That's, and, and you've seen his wrath and his anger. You weren't allowed to go into the promised land. Look at all this. You had to follow a pillar of cloud at night and you had, or day. You had to follow a pillar of fire at nighttime. It was endless wandering in the wilderness. You've seen the wrath and anger of God. Remember that. Remember that. Now count your days so that you might apply your heart to wisdom. No one escaped unscathed and untouched by the sins and rebellions of a few. For even the two spies, who would eventually make it to the promised land with the next generation, must patiently wait 40 years with all the rest. You know, as a young Christian, I thought, why didn't God just let Caleb and Joshua just go into the promised land? They were right. You guys go ahead and take your inheritance. You were right. You you go ahead and enjoy it. You guys wander. No, God says no. You're all one. Listen to me. Because a lot of people dispute this. They can if they want to, but uh, listen to me. No, you're all God's people. You share one another's burdens. You share one another's grievances. So you share also in this. Joshua and Caleb, you were faithful, and we'll read in the 
closing in a few minutes. God commends them for that. But he says, I still want you to wander with them because you're all my people. You know why the, the church around the world is so weak? You know why we're having so much trouble? I don't think God's too pleased with his people. I really don't. And it doesn't matter if we as a local church, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for that, as we'll see with Caleb. Caleb served the whole, the Lord holy throughout this whole wanderless journey. He went into the promised land. So yes, that's what our exhortation is, is to continue serving God. But I'm telling you, we're suffering along with the rest of God's people. You know that? You listening to me? Just like they did. Just like they did. We got to hear the murmuring and the complaining of all those who don't like things going on and this and that, whatever. You just, you just keep your eyes fixed on God. We keep serving God. We stay loyal to God. Are you following me? Nobody's, nobody's escaped unscathed. They too must eat the manna from heaven, which was not the fruit of the land. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua, I mean, they, they helped carry them grapes, and I hear they were huge. No. If the people of God are eating the manna, so are you. They too must drink water from the rock, which wasn't the milk and honey promised in Canaan. They had to drink the same water, eat the same manna. They had to follow the same pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. They had to, with all God's people, wander aimlessly in the wilderness until that generation had passed. They too must dwell in tents, which were not the dwellings of Canaan. They had to as well. Are you following this train of thought? And beloved, so it is it today. Though many refuse to believe it, the spiritual state and condition of God's church in general, listen to me, in general, and I know there's a lot of Baptists that don't believe in that. They believe, oh, they're so selfish. Think about it. It doesn't matter whether churches do. It doesn't matter whether Christians do. We're a local church, and it depends on what we do. And there's some truth to that. Every, every church has to do their best to serve God and follow God. But I'm telling you, I believe in a universal church. And the church in general is failing. And we all, like Caleb and Joshua, are suffering the same thing. Surely the church of God today finds herself in a spiritual wilderness, a spiritual wandering. Yet God continues to provide manna from heaven, thank God. Water from the rock, thank God. It's not the, it's not the fruit of Canaan. It's not the milk and honey of heaven. It's coming. He's still divi uh, providing divine guidance and protection like the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, spiritually seen. So we can thank God for that. Let us then have the heart of Caleb even during this time, who wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That was his testimony when he got into the Cana in Canaan land. The Lord said he wholly followed me. In fact, he told Caleb and Joshua that day when, the, when everybody else refused to believe God, he said, the land that you stepped on, the land that you placed your foot on, it's going to be yours. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be yours. You're just going to have to wander with them for 40 years, but I'll give it to you. 
Let us in the fear of the Lord beseech God to teach us the number of our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let us, in spite of everything that's going on in this day and age which we live in, let us seek to fix our hearts and our affections upon God. Let us learn from Moses' exhortations, the man of God in Psalm 90. Let us learn to number our days. Beseech God to teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom so that we might, we might live a life that is pleasing to God. Caleb and Joshua, I believe those 40 years, I believe they still remain faithful to God. The evidence of that is they were able to enter into the promised land. You know, I wondered often, especially as a young Christian, and I'll close with this, when in Joshua they finally crossed that Jordan again, this time with all the people of God? I wonder how Caleb and Joshua felt. We've been across this Jordan before. Forty long years ago. But now we're not just going with twelve. We're going with all God's people. I wonder how they felt. I bet it was a tremendous blessing. To cross that Jordan not with merely 12, to merely spy the land out, but to dwell in Canaan. One day we shall pass that eternal Jordan of death into the heaven of heavens, where we'll feast on the milk and honey of heaven, and the fruit of the land, and we'll dwell in heaven forever. Until that day, God give us grace to learn from Moses' exhortations that we might walk through this wilderness journey in a fashion pleasing and honoring, glorifying to God. Let us fear God. Let us revere God while we're rejoicing and trembling. Amen. Thank God for his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. May God be gracious to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for Psalm 90. We thank you, Lord, for stirring in our hearts to make us consider and think, Lord, and contemplate these divine truths. Father, help us, Lord God, we pray, as we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, remembering Him until He comes. Help us, Lord, to be reminded, even as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that, Lord, You suffered the wrath of God for our sins. Help us, Lord, to reverently obey you and love you and serve you with fear and reverence and love. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.